Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Joe Baumfreund, Portfolio Manager of the AVI Global Trust. Joe has managed the trust since October 2015, having joined Asset Value Investors in July 2002 as an investment analyst following completion of a master's in finance from the London Business School. At first, Joe worked closely with John Walton in focusing on the European holding companies. He then covered the entire portfolio and became joint manager with John Pennink. Prior to joining Asset Value Investors, Joe worked for six years in a real estate investment organisation in London. So if we can just uh, kick off at the top, as they say, in terms of the AVI Global Trust, what's the investment style and what are the objectives for the trust? Well, the objective of the trust really is to achieve capital growth over time. And in terms of investment style, the style that the, um, the trust pursues really is to look around the world for good quality companies that are inefficiently priced, perhaps neglected and overlooked by other invest- investors, and to try and buy those companies on discounts to their asset value or to their realizable value. So um, with that in mind, um, what, what does the asset and the geographical allocation of the trust look like? Well, in terms of geographic allocation, it, it is split uh, across the world. Europe uh, does tend to um, throw up a lot of a lot, a lot of opportunities for us. And currently, we have around 30% of the portfolio invested in Europe. Uh, Asia is also of particular interest to us. Uh, we have uh, 20% in Asia outside of Japan and around 20% invested in Japan, uh, which is another area that we think is very interesting. And then we have around 20% invested uh, in North America. In terms of um, the asset allocation, the types of companies we're investing in, we are different to other trusts in, in that a lot of the companies that you'll find in our portfolio may perhaps be uh, less well-known. And we're focused on certain types of, of companies. The largest uh, such, such type, uh, we would describe as family-controlled holding companies. Uh, they are, as the name suggests, listed companies controlled by families that own diversified portfolios of assets. And they're, they're found across Europe and Asia, uh, less common in the US and less common in the UK. Uh, we're also interested in investing in other closed-end funds. And right now, we have about a third of our portfolio invested in other closed-end funds. And often, we can be uh, a more of an activist uh, investor when we, when we take large positions in closed-end funds. And the other key area that we're currently exposed to is um, a group of companies that we think are particularly interesting in Japan, primarily. These are special situations where we've invested in a group of mostly small cap companies in Japan that have huge amounts of surplus net cash on their balance sheets, alongside good quality operating businesses. And we think they're trading remarkably cheaply. Now, you you did touch on it there, but uh, as you say, you have a key interest in family controlled holding companies. What kind of um, special opportunities do you think those provide? Well, uh, you know, we do think they're very interesting uh, and they're interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, Firstly, uh, a lot of these companies own collections of assets and businesses that we think are really high quality and very interesting. On top of that, the listed holding company itself is often overlooked by other investors. Some investors don't like the idea that these vehicles are controlled. Uh, There tends not to be that much research available on these companies. And they tend to own portfolios that are diversified across a number of different business areas. 
And that's not always that that popular uh, with investors. And that neglect and overlook, if you like, throws up some discounts, throws up some inefficient pricing. So if you put it all together, we like the idea that through these family-controlled holding companies, we're able to gain access to a group of high-quality businesses that we think will grow in value over time that are perhaps neglected and overlooked by other investors, and hence we're able to buy into those businesses uh, at a discount. And we're, we're aligning our interests with those of the families who very often are interested in preserving and transferring wealth across many generations. And in fact, many of the companies we've invested in are already way beyond fifth, sixth uh, generation of um, extreme wealth. So we think that's, that's a very compelling story. And in terms of those kind of companies, there are, there are uh, or have traditionally been some fairly famous names of uh, companies falling into that category, haven't there? There are some well-known names. Um, what, what's for sure is that a lot of the businesses that these family-controlled holding companies own will be extremely well-known. Um, you know, one example currently in our portfolio is the Italian holding company Exor, which is controlled by the Agnelli family. And the Agnelli family started Fiat many years ago. And today in their portfolio, alongside the newly merged entity of Fiat Chrysler and Persia, which is called Stellantis, uh, we also find companies like uh, Ferrari, clearly very well known. And uh, Exxon also has stakes in The Economist and Juventus. So certainly known to the, uh, names that are very well known. In terms of the, uh, the trust itself, could you talk us perhaps through one or two of your top holdings? So uh, Exor does feature in the top 10. Uh, another company that we, we have a large shareholding in is the Japanese conglomerate Sony, uh, which, has, uh, which owns a number of different businesses spanning entertainment, things like films, music, alongside um, uh, a business that's involved in the cameras that go in uh, automated vehicles. And, and in and in smartphones, and uh, that, that's a company that's done very well, very high quality, very good growth prospects, which we think is trading very cheaply. We also have a stake in another uh, closed-end fund called Pershing Square Holdings, which your listeners may be uh, familiar with. Again, that's been uh, an, another very successful investment for us. We bought it on a wide discount, and it still is trading on a very wide discount, but it has seen very, very strong uh, NAV growth, particularly over the last couple of years. And we like the idea of it being invested in, in a group of high quality, mostly North American businesses uh, uh, with a sort of an active ownership bias, bias within there. We also have a stake in a, uh, well, it's actually South African listed called Naspers. Um, it owns Process, which is Euronex listed, which in turn has a 30% stake in Tencent, the well-known Chinese e-commerce business. And again, that's a company that trades uh, on a very wide discount. And, and I guess it highlights how through these holding companies, one is able to get, which sometimes have some, com- some complex ownership structures, one is able to get access to high quality businesses, high growth businesses sometimes, but on very wide discounts. And of course, there's a, a representation uh, of, of Japan, as you mentioned, which uh, in terms of the economy could potentially be finding its feet after quite a few years out in the wilderness. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think our, our group of companies in Japan is really, really interesting. Uh, as I said, a lot of them are small cap and they're very, very exposed to the whole uh, global economy and the global economic cycle. And as such, um, they've already shown a, a very strong earnings recovery since the impact of lockdown hit them 
during the first part of 2020. In addition to very cheap valuations, there's more and more pressure on these companies from government, from the regulators, from investors such as ourselves, to focus increasingly on generating higher shareholder returns and to improve corporate governance generally. And uh, you know that's why we've um, made a big allocation towards this, this opportunity in the trust. Now, obviously, we've been through something of an extraordinary environment over the last year or so since last March, when it really kicks in. How's the trust coping in the current difficult environment? And did 2020 actually give you the opportunity to add new names to the portfolio? You're absolutely right. 2020 uh, was difficult. And certainly, um, the trust had um, a difficult patch in the first two or three months of of 2020. The way we navigated it, and we've come out uh, the other side in a pretty strong position, I would say, is by focusing on the fundamentals, doing our um, thorough research into the companies we've invested in and by focusing on the long term. And what what that has meant for us over the past 12 months is that we have um, focused the portfolio on companies that we felt had strong balance sheets, had strong businesses, and that even if they were impacted in the short term by the effects of lockdown uh, and and the effects of the, the COVID pandemic, they would come out the other side as strong businesses and they would recover. By sort of focusing on the long term, by not trying to get too depressed or mired in in the short term moves, uh, we've actually been able to navigate um, pretty well. We've added a number of new names to the portfolio, principally companies um, that do have those resilient business models uh, in the kind of environment we've had. But increasingly over the past uh, couple of months, as we've had the positive news on the vaccine, we've actually been adding to some companies that will be beneficiaries of of economies trying to get back to normal and people getting getting back to work and spending their money. So in terms of where we go from here, what's your outlook? Obviously, you mentioned it a little earlier that you've got a fair chunk of exposure to Europe. How do you see the general outlook and have you got high hopes for Europe in particular, for example? Well, the interesting thing about you know our companies, and I, and I used Exor as an example, is that although uh, it is European-based and European-listed, ultimately, uh, it's the businesses that it owns, and the same would be for a number of our, of our core holdings, are more global in nature. So it's not so much because we have um, a number of European-listed companies that we're making a big play on Europe. It's more about making a big play on individual businesses that we think would thrive and prosper in the current environment. So our outlook, in fact, is is, is positive. We are fully invested. As a trust, uh, we do have some gearing in place, and we're using uh, some of that gearing currently. So that tells you that we are we are bullish and positive about the opportunities that we are seeing in the portfolio. In general, we think we are exposed to um, a good number of high quality businesses that we think will prosper in, in the long term, and we are pleased that we're able to buy into those companies right now on valuations that we think are are pretty attractive. And there are clearly pockets of the market that do look expensive and do look excessively priced. Uh, But but we've steered clear of those and focused on, as I say, good quality businesses, cash flow generating businesses, trading on discounts to their value today. And we think that puts us in a good place uh, over time. Just finally, Joe, in terms of the valuations you mentioned, I see from the geographic allocation that there's a fairly small slug allocated to the UK. Do you think that perhaps the UK market is generally undervalued or are there just too many bumps in the road coming along? It does seem to me that uh, the UK market is interesting. Uh, as I told you, you know, we focus on certain types of companies. 
uh, and family-controlled holding companies aren't particularly common in the UK. And so we haven't found that many opportunities. But I mentioned uh, a moment ago that we have been increasing our exposure to economically sensitive companies in recent months as we've had the good news about the vaccine. Uh, and uh, most of those companies are, are in fact in the UK. So we've increased our exposure to UK property companies uh, and companies such as Associated British Foods that owns Primark, which will benefit from uh, the economy returning to some kind of normality. So we do see opportunities in the UK, although it's not a, a huge allocation right now, it has been gradually increasing in recent months. That's good to finish on a positive note. So many thanks again for your time, Joe, and for your valuable insights indeed. That was Joe Bowenfreund, Portfolio Manager of the AVI Global Trust. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.